This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today you are going to get a front row seat to the incredible career of 2004 Tri-Nations champion Khafi Dutoy. Khafi, welcome to Front Row Rugby. Thanks Peter, it's really nice to be here. Now before we get started, let's take a look at today's trivia question. In 2000, the Springboks received a new shirt sponsor across the chest area. Name the brand. Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. And we'll also find out if Khafi knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Khafi, let's go back to 1998. You made your test day before the Springboks against Ireland in Bloemfontein. Talk to me about that day. Yeah, Peter, I think as most new Springboks will say, you know, it's a, it's a dream come true. And uh, so that's a bit of a cliche, but mine, as a matter of fact, I could I could, I could remember very clearly it, it, it felt like a... A real dream in the sense that um, on that day they uh, it was a night game, so they had a lot of firecrackers going off before the game, and there were no wind at all. So the, all the smoke stayed in the in the in the stadium for you know after that. And when we ran out, it was this smoky environment, you know, cloudy environment, and that really made me feel like this is a dream that I'm running into. You know, so it's uh, that's I'll never forget that moment. You know, it's uh, that first time you sing the anthem and. Uh, the first game, actually, I, it's, I think you basically don't remember a lot of that. But I mean, I think uh, the first time running out onto that and uh, onto the field and then that dream feeling, the fact that all that smoke was hanging in the stadium and wasn't going away, that made it feel like a real dream, you know. So it's that's something I'll never forget. And then, um, like I said, that first, that 80 minutes goes, goes so fast, you know. Um, People always say you get to a semi-final and finals, and those those are quick games. You know, you got to use your opportunities in that. But I don't I don't think a game ever flown past like that as your like like the first test you ever play. You know, and you you hardly remember anything. It's just it's such a big occasion. You know, so you 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 normally after that the second or third, you know, you start re realizing you know what's happening to you. You know, and then I was also very young. I was very young at that stage, so it's just, uh, it was a huge experience. And then you actually didn't play another test match for the Springboks until almost exactly a year later. I can't remember if you were injured or not. What actually happened? Yeah, I actually broke a rib. That's what happened in that, that day. You know, I um, I got tackled from behind. I, I took a I took a break, and I think I passed it on to Stefan Tebrans. I think he also scored four tries on that day. Um, so um, so after I passed the ball, I got a tackle from behind, and I felt funny and skew in the guy on top of me, and I felt something snap in, in my rib cage, but I didn't know, you know, it was maybe just a knock. But afterwards, I, we actually found out I, I actually popped a rib, and uh, we tried. After that, I think we went to Pretoria or Joburg with the next game, and um, we tried injecting it, you know, like you in the old days we used to do. But uh, but yeah, it just couldn't work, and, and you know, with a rip, a broken rip, it's just uh, it's just so difficult, you know. With, you, you can't you can hardly breathe or, or or sneeze or sleep or anything, you know. So it was it was just not not going to work, you know. So I think it was Franco Smith or somebody who had to replace me if I, if I remember correctly. So yeah, and then I obviously I missed out on those games, and then I I was lucky enough to be be uh, selected again to go on the year intro. You made your debut against Ireland. It was on the 13th of June, 1998, and it was the 12th of June, 1999, almost exactly a year later that you played against Italy in your second test match. How enjoyable was it to be back? Um, you know, it's, I think it's always that first was such a such a quick thing to happen. And, and it's uh, and also, like I said, you you're so young at that stage. You know, if you if you go back and um, I mean, that's a complete discussion, a separate discussion. But I mean, I've. I think um, like six months or so before that, you know, I still played 
club rugby, you know. Um, I've only played Vodacom rugby, no Curry Cup, no Super Rugby, and then got chosen for that, you know. So it was, it was so, everything just happened so quickly. I remember when I met Henri Markroff in Kimberley uh, that year and before I went to Kimberley in 97, uh, he told me that, you know, soon he wants me to play for Springboks. And I was like, you know, whatever, you know, I... Uh, I thought, you know, that's maybe in the far future, but not yet. And he, he thoroughly believed that, you know, the first test, test that's going to come, I'm going to play, you know. So, um, and that's also something just to show how, how some coaches believe in you. And that also boosts you a lot. But anyway, so and it happened like that, you know. So, and it, it happened so quickly. And then I got injured. And then obviously, you just settle again and think that, look, we're going we're gonna to work again and, and just you know, it's luckily the time went past again, so you can get some more experience and 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 grow a little bit more, you know. But but yeah, so I was just happy to be back again and having another shot at it, and and yeah, that that's basically it. And at that stage, what did you think the chances were that you might be the starting fly half at the Rugby World Cup? Look, like I said, Peter, it was all still maybe in far future for me. World Cup was maybe something I looked at um, when I've settled in in a position, settled in, find my feet. Um, and probably the way you will think, because you're so young and you haven't played a lot of rugby, you know, I would you would think that always you have to go through certain stages, play a proper curry cup, play a proper a super rugby, um, you know, lose some big games, win some big games, kick some big kicks and big finals and, you know, have the experience. But obviously when the opportunity comes your way, and you get chosen, then you're not going to say no. I'm not experienced enough. You're going to take it. You know, you're going to see how it goes. You know, that's basically how you would how you would approach it. But yes, I I I obviously in my dreams was always also going to be, you know, being able to be in a World Cup to represent South Africa. I think it's the ultimate dream for all the because the one level is you want to be a a Springbok player, then you want to be a good Springbok player for a good period of time, and then you obviously want to go to a World Cup, and if you can be lucky enough, win it. You know, that's probably the the the, the focus and the, and the dream goal of everybody. But yeah, I was always going to hope that, you know, one day I might be in a, in a World Cup somewhere, which never realized, but that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> Talking about those two tests against Italy, uh, we won both of them by very large margins. The second one, we put 100 points on the board. Javi, what does it feel like playing in a test match when you were so dominant? Yeah, Peter, yeah, that's, those were the years when your Italy's and your Scotland's and your Ireland's were still easy games, if you want to say easy games. You know, it was, uh, you would think it's just a, this, you run onto the field and there's already 30 points for, you know, for you on the board. You know, it's just, it's, it was like what it was like in the Northern Hemisphere at that stage. You know? So if you look back at it now, you can hardly believe it, how things have changed over the, the past time now. So, um, but yeah, it's, you're dominant, and it's obviously makes it in a way easier. You look, you you might look good because it's you always get ball in the front foot, and you your your pack is always dominant. And you, for me as a playing in a flyer position, that makes life much easier. Um, you can get your 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 backline away much easier. You're you're not you're not under pressure really, you know, to make decisions. Um, your game plan is all working, and whatever you want to do, you can do because there's not too much pressure. So. So in a way, that's actually a good way to start. Also, if you're a youngster, you know. So, so yeah, that that was that was it was a it was a easy game if you want to call it like that. But for me, I used it as a as a as a learning step because you know you know sometime along the line the big games at that or the big guns such as New Zealand and Australia and England and those guys are going to come around, you know. So use those easier games if you want to call it in that in that years. To, to really get settled in and, and, and that's it. You know, that's that's basically how I've treated it, you know. 
Wales were actually a team that were on the up at that stage and we went to go and play against them in June, which was quite strange at that uh, time because obviously that was the South African season and it was now their summer. And they then became the first Welsh team to beat the Springboks. What do you think went wrong that day? We were all in the bench. I think it was, is it Bram von Straten or somebody played fly that day, if I'm right? Um, and I think it was me and Dave. We played scrum. We were on the bench that day playing scrum off and yeah, it was also a big occasion. I mean, that was the first game in the Millennium Stadium, if I'm not wrong, if 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 if, if I'm right. You know, look, like I just said, it was a it was a losing against us uh, um, Wales at that stage was a psychological, you know, for the Northern Hemisphere it was psychologically a, a big boost for them, you know, and for us obviously a, a kick in the gut because you don't want to be the first to you know to lose against a team like that. Um, but like you said, they were on an up. It was a bit of a, a wake-up call for us in the Southern Hemisphere. And um, and obviously for Nick Mallet being the coach, coach at that stage, you know, um, I think it also it's put a lot of pressure on him because you never want to be the first team, you know. And then later on, we also, we lost, I think it was that game where we lost against in England, um, uh, also which was going to be the a record win for Nick Mallet, you know. So, so you don't like to be the ones being the first or the record breakers going the wrong way, you know. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was. But it's a, I think it's just, it just goes to show how things change. Even though we were the dominant in the in the, in the, the southern hemisphere, comparing to the the northern hemisphere at that at that stage, it was just. I think it was the start of, of things to change and look at where we are at the moment, you know. So, um, but it's for the good, you know. Rugby is is good, and it's it's, it's good that it's so. Balanced out now, we are Northern Hemisphere is, is caught up. Basically, if you want to say that, they have not really caught up. I think they might be slightly ahead if you if you look at things now, France and Ireland at the moment. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't easy, um, especially if you're young. And we came on. I think we came on right at the end. You couldn't really do you just uh, anything about it. You could just try and play your game and and take take the shot on the on the chin and and, and go on, you know, and, and just go back to the drawing board again and, and recover and, and look at the next game. Khafi, I've heard from some of the other Springboks that I've had on this show in the past that before that test match against Wales, uh, Rian Oberholzer came to speak to the players and caused sort of caused disruptions among the squad. I know that you were one of the younger guys, one of the newer guys in the squad at that stage, but is there anything that you can tell me about that? To be honest, Peter, I've, I've got a slight, I, I can remember something like that, but I'm, like you say, I was so young. I think we just we we can't. I can't remember really anything. What I think, if there was something that happened, it was probably discussed between him and the senior players, which was you know, like Uist and Andre Fenter and 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 Mark Andrews and you know those guys who were the main the main guys and the senior guys. So I I can't I, I can't really recall the detail of all of that. Like I said, I I think I was just so caught up in the fact that I'm. A youngster and you just do whatever they say you need to do and you know get ready for the test that i didn't really focus on the politics or whatever it was on the side at that stage you know i i so so yeah i, I won't be able to recall anything in detail to tell you what was exactly the story Sure. And then after that test match, the Tri-Nations began 1999 and we went to New Zealand and we got beaten in Dunedin 28-0. You and uh, David von Heslin were the starting halfbacks. Uh, there's quite a few questions I have for you uh, about that day. But let's begin with the actual match. Um, how do you remember that fixture? I think all of the guys in that game would tell you that, you know, we had, it was a... Obviously, by that stage, also pressure on Nick and pressure on the team, you know, having to perform and... and 
and I think the pressure that we were at that stage also chasing that record of, you know, 18 games at that stage, I think it was a record. And um, But yeah, I think just looking at it from a, a realistic or a natural point of or practical point of view, we arrived there and it was all wet and windy and rainy and we were basically planned according to that. And then on the day we you know, woke up and it was this perfect, you know, picture perfect day. And basically on our way on the bus, we got calls and say, listen, we have to change things around and have a different strategy. And, and like I said, again, we were still just so young that we, uh, you know, at more, I think started making us more nervous, you know, and, and also the build up towards the week, you know, I personally felt a lot of pressure in the sense that I could realize there's a, there's knickers under pressure and I could realize that me and Dave having to fill big shoes in a sense, we had to fill um, Yurst and Henry Honeyball's shoes. Personally, I know um, there was a lot of pressure from the media also on Nick because I was the, I was on fly of the new blood coming through and Nick was by far not done with a guy like Henry and Henry was a extremely good player. We were completely different players, you know, but I think the media also put a lot of pressure on Nick that, you know, you to start looking at me going forward, World Cup coming, and Henry, the people maybe thought was 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 done. And I, I think that also Nick made it in a way a bit personal in the, in the fact that he wanted to show people that, you know, his guy is still a good guy, you know. So I think it was a good opportunity when we didn't come off in that game for him to say, listen, there you go. These guys are not ready yet, you know. So, and you can have a lot of discussions about it. It wasn't nice. It wasn't good. It, it, I think it's not supposed to be like that. Uh, it takes a lot of time for you as a youngster to recover from a psychological shot like that, you know, because um, it's your dream, you know, that you want to be there. And I think if you if you have it again today, and I believe if Nick can have it again today, you'll probably have it different, you know. I mean, we were all good rugby players. Whether it was uh, um, uh, Henry Honeyball and US at the time, world-class players or me and Van Hoosland coming through, you know, it was just a matter of, you know, treating the situation a bit different, you know, um, and and not just throwing you out for the wolves and and then using you as the culprit or the, you know, the, the scapegoat that you're the guys that's causing the thing, you know. So so I had I had bad games in my in the in, in the past before that, you know, but never had I coaches not backing me, you know. So if you do something on the field, even if it's a difficult situation, they back this, the decision you make, you know, they actually take it on themselves. You know, they would go afterwards and, and even if I would have done something for Greek was at that stage and it would have been completely out the game plan because it's something I saw in the field and I do it and it done, didn't come off. Henri Marco would go now afterwards and say, I told Rafi to do that. And then he never did, but he would back me in such a way, you know. So, so that was it, you know. So it's just a different people, different pressures, different politics. And um, the bad thing is we got the shot. And we were made the culprits, and that's it's it's wrong, but it's that's how it happened, you know. Peter, we co you can't do nothing about it, you know. It's just the way you have to now recover after that, you know. So it took us a while, it took me a while psychologically, you know. I actually thought I want to give up playing rugby because how can this ever be that a guy at this level um, would blame me for this? And um, and then you know why would I work to be back in that team again if this is what? It's going to happen when I come there and it's not going well, you know. So, uh, so yeah, it took a while, but I mean, it's, it's, I got over it. And today, looking back at it, it's a, I was a big life lesson, you know. I would, I would always be appreciative of that in the sense, you know, that, that, that's, it was a big life lesson for me that I could go forward. And after that, look, I had my, my, my career still ahead of me at that stage, you know. So I could just take that and learn from it and go forward. And, um, 
and and so that was it, you know. And I still had good times. I still play. I played for the box again. I played curry cup and super rugby again. Yeah, and I had to. I had to just learn from that. It's all I could have done, you know. So that's an incredible story, Huffy. You've actually answered uh, my next two questions there as well. Uh, so l- let me ask you this: What was your relationship like with Nick Mallet? Look, it was a difficult man to work with. You know, he's a personally, you know, he's a he's a very strong personality. He knows he's got no gray areas, you know, which is which is a good thing. You know, he knows what he wants. You know, he knows what game plan he wants to play. He knows what he wants you to do. Um, and uh, and obviously me at that stage being so young, coming from a small town Afrikaans background, there was a bit of a feeling that Nick has got this thing against small town Afrikaans guys. I know there were politics around that also at the time. And, Guys like me and um, Agriquas, uh, good players coming through was uh, guys like Lawrence Fenter, guys like Robert Markram, uh, guys like Albert van der Berg, Philip Smith. You, we started coming through as good rugby players, you know, but we we got that feeling that, you know, you're from, where's Agriquas, you know, where's this small town? Where's, and then often, and then even further back, the school, you know, if I had to tell people what school I am. And even my name, Gaffi, the toy Gaffi was like a funny name. Where the hell does this name come from? You know, so you know, I speak Afrikaans. I could hardly speak a word of English at the time. So you got the feeling that, you know, that that's maybe something that's now counting against you, you know. So, 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 so that's that in a way, I think personality wise, that clashed a bit, you know. So, so I would, I would say, um, I also worked with, with coaches before that from my school days who were very good coaches, you know, who also had different personality types than me personally. But but in a way, we accommodated each other. We respected each other's beliefs, our cultures, our languages, or whatever. But we we looked at the person, not the person, we looked at the talent, you know. And I worked with Doc Poole, Doc Gert Poole, who was the assistant coach with uh, Henri Markroft. He's a difficult guy. He's a He's a... He's a guy that takes his rugby serious, you know, he's a, and he's a strong personality. And he, he tells you straight what he thinks about you and how you play, but you never feel like he would personally attack you. It's always, it's always, you know, I would be, I would get so angry at that man on the field. But then tonight when I go back, I would realize he's, he's, he's right. He's right. What he said was right. He is, he is actually, you know, he's, he's, he's looking at what you're doing wrong and he knows you've got this talent. And he's just um, looking at the talent that he's working with, not the person, you know. So, so you always had that feeling. But I think with Nick at the time, there was more thing. It, it start, started getting personal in a way, you know. So, and I know, and I know also a guy like Gary Teichman, um, which is, by the way, one of the, probably one of the best captains I ever played with. Um, such a great guy and personality, and such a great leader. Um, and I think, I think. I don't know. He might, he might, he must maybe one day tell yourselves, but or tell himself if that's true or not. But I actually got the feeling towards the end of his career, and the reason he missed out on that '99 World Cup, I think it might be because he started coming up for some of the guys. Me, I think included against a guy like Nick. You know, I think that that's maybe what I think happened. I don't know if it's true. That's just my feeling I had at the time, and I would always, if that's the truth, I would always, you know say, you know, a guy like that coming up for you against somebody like Nick at that stage. And I know Nick and, and Gary Teichman actually had a very, very good relationship, you know, and and if that was the reason, then, you know, he, maybe he sacrificed himself in a way, you know, and I will always be um, very respectful of that, if that is the case indeed, you know. So, uh, 
So yeah, that's it in a way. That's I don't know if it answers your question, but I mean, coming down to personality, there was definitely a, a bit of a clash, you know, and which was sad because you shouldn't. It shouldn't be. There should be different personalities. Look at our cultures now and the variations in our team now. And I'm sure that's one thing that Rossi is doing well. He's just he's able to meet to to mix all the different cultures, and it's not about the culture. It's it's about getting the best out of everybody in that team and um, and making them work work together for the same goal. I mean. Doesn't matter what you're doing off the field, as long as you're in between the four lines, then um, it's all the same goal, and we all respect each other. You know, that's that's basically what it needs to come down to. So that was 1999, Khafi. Uh, you were out of the picture then until 2004, when Jake White uh, became the Springbok coach, and Jake brought you back into the setup. How much different was the Springbok squad in the five years that you had been gone? Look, yeah, when I I think when I got to Jake, I had the first. I think real experience of what it feels like to be a professional, you know, um, that's something that I will always think if I look at Jake, the way he approached the guys and the way he worked with guys and look before him, wasn't it? I think it was, um, Harry Fulhoun was Harry Fulhoun before him, if I'm right. Um, there I was also included in the, in the squad. And I think Harry also had a very professional approach, but it's like he wasn't able at the time to really, because he was professionally in his work, he was a very su- successful businessman. But but still, it was you could feel. I think it's that transition we started to make from '95 to you know getting into the real professional era, and and every guy that came in in that period of say 10 or 15 years um, had his way to try and make it professional. But it it, it was always going to be a while for everybody to adapt. You know, even from next time all the way through to Jake's time, you know, and um, I think when we when we got to Jake, the last part of my professional era, I had the feeling that I think we now where we should be in a professional point of view, the way that they worked with the guys and also the way, look, Jake was already the video analysis in, in, in Nick Mallet's days. So he was there right through the whole transition and he probably picked up what was the best way to one day when I'm you know, I would never have thought when he was still a video guy with Nick Mallet, he's going to become the World Cup champion one day. But, um, but I think he made he obviously had the experience of the transition, and I think the way he coached was probably one of the best um, ways to coach at that time for me, being an amateur going through that transition era to become a professional. And and that's how I think we got together here in Bloom. Uh, when he started and when he gave me a chance again and straight away I just the way I could see he's got his vision he knows exactly what he wants he knows exactly where every player will fit into his his, his plan and even even the fact that I didn't go with him to the ultimately to the to the World Cup I actually left 2006 just before the World Cup he came he came straight to me and he told me this is the plan you know this is how this is how it's going to work some guys need to go and and if it's not for us going, there's not guys staying. <laughs> so it's always going to be somebody staying, and there's a reason why you're there. And you know whether you're on the short list to maybe go to the World Cup or not. You know, and also you must remember then the politics and the quota thing also started coming in, and that's also that also started playing a role. Um, and you know, I understood, I, I understood perfectly what he's what he what he was saying to me at that stage, and and at that st- and that age also for me, I just felt, look, I think I had my go, my go. I've missed basically all the World Cup opportunities there was, and if it wasn't going to be with Jake, then it's, it wasn't meant for me, you know. And I made peace with that. I was a, I, I had a great experience all my career. I had a, basically a twelve-year career, totally in rugby. 
And if you look at where I'm coming from um, as a as a child and where I've ended up, you know, I'm just thankful all the way. You know, um, it could have gone completely different for me. You know, if you know my history from child, but 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 it didn't. You know, and that's what and I and I felt there with Jake it was a good time. I had, I played. I think it was two two thousand and four till two thousand and six. Yeah. And we had good tours. I've had good opportunities. He gave me ample time to play. Um, I, I was lucky to earn more money also there because at that stage, the guys were making way more money than we made in those, those years in 98 when uh, when we started playing, you know. So I was just thankful of whatever opportunity and whatever I can I can receive. And yeah, so 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 that's what I experienced from Jake. I, I think it was a good time that I had there also. Javi, you speak about your career possibly going in a different direction. I think there was certainly a school of thought in the late 90s that thought that perhaps what was going to happen is Henry Honeyball would retire and you would take over from him as the Springbok 10, probably with Franco Smith as 12, or in an alternative scenario, Franco would be 10 and you would be at fullback. But it didn't work out that way. What do you think about that? Different coaches, different ideas. If you look at 98 all the way through to Jake White in 2006, you know, they, there was different coaches. It was it was, it was was going to be um, Nick and then it's going to be, I think after him was it, uh, it was Harry Fulhun and then it was, um, it was, uh, what's his name now? It, Rudolf Strauli. Australia, yes, that's it. Come start out. I missed that one, and then uh, and then it was Jake. So it's four. So if you look at a career of maybe ten to twelve years, four different um, coaches in a in a Springbok camp. It was every single one of them had different ideas, you know. So and I also started off. Yes, the timing for me, looking back at it, the timing for me coming into the system was actually perfect because I came in as a youngster at what was it, twenty years old. Uh, and and Henry was gonna gonna retire soon, and then you have your all the World Cups. You know, I was if you look at it, it was actually three World Cups that I was able to play in my time, and I thought, you know, this is I was actually even looking at it, you know, and we, besides maybe bad injuries, I can only do well because I know I've got the talent, I know I'm a good rugby player. I just got to work hard and focus and whatever, have a bit of luck also. And then you can actually have a, a, an excellent uh, future coming, you know. So, but it didn't work out like that, you know. This is, I had bad injuries. I had different, I started, I stopped playing rugby. I stopped playing uh, fly-off. Um, and like you just said, that's also the thought was becoming the next 10 in Henry's place, you know. Um, but then again, I became a 10 and then suddenly um, 10 wasn't going to be, it's got to be more fullback. That actually started with Nick already, and then, like you said, Franco became more the, the the ten than me. And then I was competing against Percy at, at fullback, and and then because Percy was still still a, not a youngster, but he wasn't wasn't you know going to retire soon. Then it became a thing of you know Huff is actually a good flyer and a good fullback, so he's actually going to become a very good backup for both these positions. And then with Jake, it actually became. Uh, like a like a Joe Roth kind of player where I can be a, a wing, a left wing and a fullback because I was a lefty kicking left, same as Joe Roth. And uh, I wouldn't say the same style as he, he's had, but I think I think um, Jake always thought that I was going to be between those two positions. I can all, I can play fly off, but I think it was uh, for him, it was Jakub van der Vestes and, and I think it was Butch James and those type of players that he wanted at a fly off. Me, being versatile between, I was a, a longer, taller guy, more, more, um, you know, like a better suited for a wing or a fullback. Uh, I, I had good pace. I was a lefty, 
So for, for him, I always thought, I feel like, because he was such a big, uh, um, what was it, ACT Brumbies fan at that stage, also Jake, and a lot of the game plan was based on a lot of stuff they did, that I felt very much like a, a Joe Roth kind of player at that stage who played left wing and, and, full, and full back, you know. So, yeah, different different coaches came in different ideas, and that's that's it basically what it comes down to, you know. And um, for me, it was just, okay, whatever they do, I'm just going to be the best there. And I could always go back now and say, listen, you never played fly off and became the number one fly. But the, my next goal then was whatever position they're going to play me, I want to be a, become a springbok in that. And so I'm happy that I they shifted me from – I became a, a fly uh, you know, in, in springbok, springbok fly off, and then they shifted me fullback. And I became a fullback, a springbok fullback. And then there was talks about it being a left wing and I became a left wing, uh, also a springbok. You know? So for me, it was – then that's the next thing then. You know, if I don't know where people want me, but wherever they want me, I'll show them I can be for one day at least, for 80 minutes, I'll be the best in my country, whether it's wing or fullback or fly up. And that was my next goal. And I just took it as this. I know people listening to that answer will be dying to know, Khafi, which was actually your favorite position. <laughs> I must say, you know, I grew up as a fullback since school, as a, as a fly off uh, since, uh, since my school days. And the funny thing is, um, you know, those days at school, it was like, oh, who kicks the ball the furthest, he becomes, he becomes the fly off, you know. And that, so in my heart um, and in my head, I always understood the fly off game because I played it since I was very small. And But looking back at it now, if I had to have it again, um, I probably would have become a better fullback if I, if I had to f- focus only on that. And for the simple reason, if you, if you go back – and look at who was who was a, our best fullback before my time, and that was Andre Joubert. And you look of, if you if you look at the, the style that Andre played, if you look at the he was also a lefty, he was also a very quick guy, and he was a tall, big guy. Similar, we had a similar build, a similar playing style, the similar we left-footed. Um, we had all good skills, hand skills, ball skills. We, you know, we had everything. Um, then I should have maybe played fullback you know, from the start. Uh, that's probably what I should have. But if I ask Andre Markcroft this question, he'd probably say there's no chance now I was the best fly ever and he would have believed in that. And and that's it. I just I just basically played wherever they wanted me and I was lucky to be a versatile player like that. I would always say there's the good players, then there's the excellent players and then there's those that play wherever you put them, they become springboks and that's us. <laughs> Absolutely. Khafi, you mentioned earlier that you missed out on the opportunity to play at the Rugby World Cup, even though there were so many years that came by and given your age and all of that. However, having said that, you did help the Springboks win the Tri-Nations in 2004, even though you only played in the one game, but you were part of the setup, so you did help us win. What did that feel like? No, that's excellent. I've got a big photo here just in my office of that game. And uh, me and Brent Russell, we were on the bench that day, I remember, and, uh, and we, you know, I, I, I realized I looked at, at at Brent and I saw him being down and not, you know, not like disappointed, but, you know, you would have liked to be on the field all the game and play it and be part of that winning, uh, you know, match. But, you know, looking at that stage, the fact that I've you know, at that stage came from 98, 99 with, with where, you know, all the experiences I had, all the disappointments I had, all the, um, you know, whether it was with a coach or whether it was injury or whether it was missing out every time on a World Cup or whatever. You know, for me at that stage, just to say that I'm now part of a squad that has won one of the biggest tournaments in the world. Um, you know, for me, it was just 
it was the same as being on the field for 80 minutes. You know, it was, I, I had a couple of minutes right at the end and it was, for me, it was just being part of that squad because it's, you know, at that stage, like I said, we started off in an era where reserves were just player people coming on when somebody's injured, uh, where we ended up being um, in a more professional setup where reserves became impact players, as we know today, and you are absolutely part of the whole squad. And there's there's actually no number anymore. It's just a, it's just 22 players. And um, you started understanding at stage that they can't be without you. You have to be there uh, just from a not just physical but psychological point of view. And the players on the field know that they can do their best because they get the pressure from the from the bench and and the coach can also know that whoever he puts on is burning with such you know eagerness to be on the field that whenever you put them on they're gonna they're gonna leave it all out there you know so and so you are absolutely part of that team even if you're only on the field for five minutes so and that's that's also something that only came over the years that I had experiences and all the disappointments of missing out, you know. So I just appreciated that so much at that stage um, that it felt like winning a World Cup <laughs> to me. Javi, <laughs> yeah. who was your toughest opponent? Um, yes, so yeah, it's difficult. Probably, probably um, when I started playing against Andrew Mertens, yes, I always respected that guy as a fly-off. I also played against him, you know, for, uh, for uh, I think it was the Sharks against the... The Crusaders, as a fullback, I played against them. It was absolutely the most difficult guy to play against because he was so accurate with his kicking that you know if you're not fit that that day, you're going to run your ass off that day after a guy that knows how to kick, who knows the game, who knows where his space are. So he was absolutely one of the best players I played against and clear, most clever players I played against. Um, yeah, but then also, you know, after him at, at a flyer position, a guy like Carter was a youngster coming in, but even, you know, with whether it's at national level or at Crusaders against Stormers, where I played for the Stormers against him, you know, just, he was obviously a very good player, a lot of respect there. Um, yeah, it's, this, this, it's probably those are two flyers positions that I could say is the toughest guys that I played against and that I enjoyed looking and playing against and also learning from, you know, um, even if even when we played against France um, in my very last test in 2016, I was very fortunate to to leave South Africa and play for Toulouse, and and then a lot of those guys who actually won us that day on Newlands, um, I played with them in in uh, in France, and there was a guy Yannick Jean-Jean. He played uh, 12 inside centre, one of the probably one of if not the best ever player that I not just played against but played with as well. I, I don't think I've ever played. With a more talented and uh, and uh, just clever and but also good person, you know, a nice person, nice guy. Um, so yeah, those are the a couple of names like that comes up now quickly. Um, that I can think of that was guys I really respected. The tough opponents, but also not just tough. They were good players. I really respected them. Who is your current favorite player? Would you say? It's, it's actually difficult to say because these the days it, it, it's changed so much at the moment. You know, with you know, us playing in different competitions and, and, and all over the world and the seasons that's changed now. I told my son the other day, it's so different now, you know, to think that we're playing over Christmas and New Year's and, you know, rugby. And that's something that didn't exist at our time. But um, just, I don't know, actually, Peter, to, to be honest, looking at the national side now, um, a guy like Moody that's uh, coming through now, youngster, I think he's got a lot of skill. The, is it Moody? Yeah, that's what's it? What's it? Uh, Kanan Moody. Yeah, K 
Caden Moody, yeah, that's it. I like him. Just goes to show. I don't look. I don't watch a lot of rugby. I've got four kids, so I've, I'm quite busy with my with my own kids in sport. You know, so uh, so so yeah. Looking at at the national side, um, I think a guy like Pollard at the moment. I, it took me a while to really, uh, you know, think that he's he's our onset fly off. Um, but I think the way the couple of games highlights I saw, he played for was it Leicester Tigers recently. And his leadership, I think, just from a player point of view, and what going forward now in the World Cup, he, I would say that he's the guy that I would look at now if I if he if he plays and that I like um, the way he's also over the years found his rhythm there, fly off, and a good balanced player. And he should actually be, you know, he's he's very close to being a captain of the Springboks for me as well. You know, he's, uh, so so I've heard him. Sp- speak a couple of times and he's a uh, you know i i think i like him i like his way of playing and i hope i hope he's uh he's going to be our answer there for the world cup also um because it's just over the years we had so many different fly-offs and after the henry hannibal and the nasbota and those eras we had so many chop and changing on the fly position and you would always think why in the country as south africa we have so many fly why do we always have to chop and change those guys all the time you know um but he's, I think he's the one that I would look at now, and I, I like to look at his, his game when he plays. The other guy, actually, Kurtley Aronser. Kurtley Aronser is actually the one guy that I that I very much like to you know to to see more often in the Springbok side. Yes, he's a uh, you know he's such an explosive. I think he's the one guy besides now Jason Colby. I mean, we all know Jason, and he's been a World Cup winner and everything. So. So obviously, all the respect to him as well. But just uh, this Kurtley Orange is for me one of the players that you can't keep your eye off him. You know, he's for me if if he if he gets the ball, he's always busy. But there's a lot of off the ball stuff that he does that a lot of that we that I also like seeing. You know, cleaning out and tackling and defense and how he puts himself in the game. That's actually I don't I don't know why I didn't think about him. You know, before talking about all the other guys that I mentioned. You know, he's for me he's a one exciting player that I really like watching you know it's just a pity he's playing for the blue bulls because i'm not a blue bull fan happy <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know my viewers uh, by now they know that i uh, grew up in cape town and obviously supported western province and the stormers so uh, from a from a local point of view i'm not really a blue bulls fan either but <laughs> <laughs> Khafi, tell me, um, what was the, or is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time with the Springboks? Well, there's one thing is, I don't know if it's funny, I'm just thinking about it now. I know that one tour that I just told you where, with old Nick Mallet in the in the start, where we, besides all the fun makers in the team, like like old Smiley and even Rusty, they, these were all the, the, the guys who made, made all the things happen, the jokes and funny jokes in the team. I remember the one day we on the exercise of Nick Mallet at uh, at a go at, at one or two of us. And it was me and Lawrence Fenter and Robert Markham, isn't he? <laughs> and he said something that that uh, that Philip Smith didn't like a lot that day. And um, and I can't repeat what he said, unfortunately not. But but old Philip Smith came running out of that ruck or scrum or wherever they were busy with the forwards, and he and he actually took on old 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 Nick and. At first, we had quite a laugh about it, but then uh, because the way he did it was, well, Philip is a Bursian, you know, he's from the farm here at Burgersdorp. He's a big bloke, big, strong oak, and with his, I don't know, I can't remember if he tried speaking English that day. I don't know what came out of his mouth, but whatever he said was, it was funny, and it was, 
it was it was very cool because he was obviously protecting us, you know, team members and the old Greek guys there in the group, and uh, such a good good thing and such a, such a funny thing, which which I think was it was for us it was funny and for us it was actually we had a lot of respect for Philip doing that, but I think that also cost him his, his his future in the box because after that Philip really didn't play a lot for the box anymore. <laughs> So that's a short story and not not really a funny one, maybe, but it's something I think of now that was for me at the time very funny and cool, but also that something was a bit sad because old Philip, I don't think he ever made it again there. Bit of a bittersweet one, that. Javi, uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, Peter, I'm in the packaging business. I'm After I played, stopped playing, I met in George. I met a guy and he took a business over from his dad who passed away two years before that. And uh, he also just from at that stage, he um, he came from back from overseas where he was high up in a corporate company. And his dad started the company about 30 years ago and we manufacture and distribute um, flexo packaging. And it's more specifically in my area. It's different packaging, flexo packaging. Um, could be high-end stuff that you put muesli and dog food and stuff like that or cat food in. But uh, these, these pretty bags with the Ziplocs and all those things. Uh, or down to the basic stuff that I more more focus on in my area because the industries here and the commodities here is maize meal and you know it's it's cake flour and bread flour and it's um, it's fertilizer and those these kind of things and th- those are the so the bags that you put those those products in we manufacture and we distribute that so so it's basically a packaging business so we got the factories that manufacture those those packages um, for these different industries and um, I myself live in Bloom. And um, we're not a big company. We we basically have three, four guys, and we are partners, and um, we distribute this different packages all over the country. And I focus more more on the on the central area, which is Free State, Northern Cape, a bit up to the northwest and Gauteng, a bit to Natal as well. But then we cover basically the the, the whole of South Africa um, with the packaging we do. And I am more focused on the farming community and farming because, like I said, in Joburg, we got a I got a partner there, and he focuses more on the corporate stuff, like you know the USN, all these protein powders powders. In the old days, it used to be in those big tins with the lids on the top that you screw on. I think you still get those, but they now nowadays they're in these packages that you can actually you can tear open and then you, and then you empty it and you zip lock it again. So he's actually managing that account for us, you know. So we're getting, so we're supplying that type of packaging, which is more the high end stuff. Um, so that's what I'm busy with these days. If you told me, yeah, if you had to tell me 20 years back, that's what I'm going to do after rugby, I would have said, no way. But I mean, that's what I'm doing at the moment. And it's funny enough in COVID, we realized a thing like a simple thing like a bag for maize meal. How necessary that would be, you know, because people still need to eat, you know. So, so yeah, it was a, it was very blessed. We were very blessed to still do well during that tough period that we had to go through. Sounds good to me. Khafi, let's finish off with a look at the trivia question again. In 2000, the Springboks received a new shirt sponsor across the chest area. Name the brand. Do you know the answer, Khafi? I'm going to take a guess. Is it Castle? That is the one. Castle Lager. Khafi, let me say, it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby today. Some fascinating stories, and thank you so much for sharing those. I'm sure that the viewers thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed listening to that as well. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future. It was all a pleasure, Peter. It's nice meeting you too. Nice having you here. And yeah, it was good to, to talk again. And as you can hear, I had to really use all my Bloemfontein English 
So after this, I'm done. I had to go. I've, I've used everything I had. So I hope it was not too bad. <laughs> Khafifa may say, I thought that your English was excellent. Delicious. Okay. <laughs> Last time on Front Row Rugby, former Springbok captain Gary Teichman was my guest. You can go and watch that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, I'll have 1995 World Cup winner and 1998 Tri-Nations champion, Krano Otto. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.